Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you listen to the podcast. I'm Sherry Dodder, occupational therapist and recovering dysgraphic. Welcome to The Writing Glitch, no pencil required. Did you know that I struggled when I hit college and I was really trying to get those papers out and Every time I would turn around, I'd have to be ripping another piece out of the typewriter and throwing another one in so that I could get my term papers written for school. And I was like, what is going on? Why am I struggling with sentence structure? Why am I struggling with paragraph organization? Why do I have to keep wearing out paper? Well, I didn't know it at the time. I just blamed it on my eyes. They're bad. But what I didn't realize is that I have higher level dysgraphia, also have some issues with reading comprehension and reading fluency. And so I needed to overcome these things. So I went and I tackled these deficits that I have by creating courses, books, and now a podcast. So if you are interested in learning more about some of the things that I do, listen a little bit later And we will talk a little bit more about how you can uh, get in touch with me. But for now, I'd like to introduce my guest today. And her name is Lois Letchford. And she is coming to us from outside Albany, New York. She realized that she had dyslexia when she started helping her son, Nicholas. Examining her reading failure caused her to adapt and change the lessons. The results were dramatic. Lois was qualified as a reading specialist using her non-traditional background, multi-continual experience, and passion for assisting her failing students. Lois received her teaching degree in Australia, Texas, and then a master's degree out of SUNY Albany. She has now written, reversed, a memoir. In her first book, This story talks a little bit about her journey, how her son's dramatic failures in first grade really impacted her and her family. Welcome to the podcast today, Lois, and how are you really? I'm doing okay. I'm delighted to be here, Sherry. And it's interesting you talking about your dysgraphia because paragraph structuring, sentence structuring, my problem. There we go. And that's not one of the things that people often think about when we're thinking about dysgraphia. When I first got into this, everybody kept talking about letter formation. And I'm like, there's more to this story. That's what I think about literacy and literacy instruction. There's more to this story. That's the title of it, of this, this podcast. There's more to the story. It's not as simple as people make out. I guess we're going back to Paul Harvey, aren't we? (laughs) Who's Paul Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey was an Associated Press uh, radio host back when I was a kid. And the title of his radio show was called The Rest of the Story. And so he would delve into something and then go on and embellish it and tell what was behind the scenes. When most people talk about dysgraphia or dyslexia on that, they're still talking about the middle of the road. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a child who's on the bottom percentiles. 
And with a child who's so low down, you can't get one or two things right and expect the child to make the jumps in between. You have to get 100% of everything right to take that child from the bottom to the top. Yeah, we need to work on those building blocks. Before we delve into those thoughts, though, I want to introduce our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Daughter Educational Consulting. They offer the Dysgraphia Certification course. This course builds dysgraphia awareness and provides practical interventions for lesson planning, using development to help redesign your lessons. Whether you're a literacy teacher, a general ed teacher, an occupational therapist, a speech therapist, even a parent can find benefit from this course. So if you want to learn more about the Dysgraphia Certification Program, typically the second Wednesday, it's not always the second Wednesday. Sometimes we get holidays in there that really mess up the, uh, the, the cycle. But typically the second Wednesday of the month, I do a webinar that I talk a little bit about the program. And you can go to sherrydotter.com forward slash calendar to get the next one. So tell me a little bit more about what you were saying about the lowest of the low, because the thing that came to my hand, my, my brain was building blocks. So go into that a little bit more, and then I'll explain what I mean by building blocks. I totally agree with you about building blocks. My son went to school in 1994, and he failed first grade. By failed, I mean he sat in the classroom he wet his pants, he bit his fingernails, he stared into space. What I didn't know was the teacher shouted at him every single day because he couldn't do what was expected. And when a child fails so dramatically, the chances of getting out of that little basket are few and far between. You know, and they, you know they've got muscle coordination problems. They have, they have a variety of problems that you as a parent have to address. Speech, language was something that we used and we used speech, uh, speech therapists and occupational therapists to help him get through it. And believe it or not, the speech therapist in teaching him taught me. Mm, I believe that. You mentioned something there that hit home. And I don't know if I can hold it together. And I don't know that I've revealed this and shared this with anybody publicly before. But when I was in first grade, I did the same thing as your son and it jeopardized my social interaction with others. And that is, I had an accident where I peed in the classroom. And from that time on, my social skills were severely damaged because the other kids didn't want anything to do with me. And then of course, my confidence went down. I also had the trouble with reading and I was picked on because I had Four eyes, because way back in those days, you know, glasses weren't the norm. (laughs) Glasses were not the norm back in the the early 70s. And it it was a traumatic experience. So I understand what your son went through because I did it too. And you're right. There's a lot of building blocks. When we look at the building blocks of education and learning, There's so much neurologically that has to happen and get and put in place before you can even access academics, reflexes, sensory motor system, memory system, 
you need your proprioception, your vestibular system, your interoception system all intact, or at least someone intact, because we all have the issues that aren't fully intact, but we need those things intact. I say those terms because I want to spark some of the conversation with you. What of those conversations did the speech therapist share with you? And what were like new words for you at first? Well, let me take you a little bit back. When Nicholas was eight months old, from eight to 18 months, he had ear infections. No one said to me, your child's learning is going to be disrupted because the hearing, he's not hearing properly. And I've met, you know, a hearing specialist recently and she said it's not only when they have ear infection, but either side when the infection's coming in and when they're going out of it, they are not hearing language clearly. No, they're not. No, they're not. Sounds, you've got language, you've got the building blocks of language all growing and changing the brain to the point where his memory for language and his process of language was really poor. Still is to this day. Hmm. So was he a, a kiddo that ended up with tubes in his ears? We didn't. We didn't go down that route. I don't know why. It wasn't even offered. I don't understand it. He actually has a genetic disability because I remember when he was a tiny, tiny little boy, I could put him on the change table and he would not roll. That worried me. There's your vestibular problem there already. Mm. You know, then you've got this additional problem of of, um, hearing loss, ear infections. And I, later I read, you know, it only takes one ear infection a year for six years to create a learning disability. Wait a minute. Say that again. It only takes one ear infection a year from zero to six to create a learning disability. Wow, that's impactful. That's powerful. That is one statistic I had not heard before. I do know how important the auditory processing system is to learning how to read, many kids with learning disabilities cannot distinguish the different sounds between A, E, I, O, and U. And then there's some other ones, but basically those vowel sounds are one big sound. (laughs) The vowels and then the consonant blends. Mm. You know, it's a combination of both, the vowels and those consonant blends. And the difference in a word like um, say, no, not say, Play, pay, play, and pray. Whoa. Your vowel sounds the same. One letter makes the difference and we change the meaning. And if our children don't get it, it's disastrous. Yeah. I had one student a couple years ago who we were trying to figure out if we could get him to use voice typing using Google. and he was trying having him type some things into the into Google and just working on some stuff together and consistently he finally got the blends he could not get the vowels so i remembered distinctly the word chip it was chp constantly there there was no vowels in anything that he did except his name because we've drilled his name into him well i drilled his name address phone number 
and date of birth into him like for two years. <laughs> and there you go back to your memory. What do children who are on the dyslexic spectrum have problems with? Isolated, abstract, and irrelevant. Your address is isolated, abstract, and irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And so much of what we do in the beginning falls under that category. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what what a powerful uh, conversation this is coming. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You have written this book, but what are you doing with it at this point in time? Bad question. Um, what am I doing? Trying to sell the book. And I've just started to put out a program that ties with the book and, and reading for middle schoolers. And there will be a second one for younger children. It's not available yet, but if you want advanced copies of it, which is the first process I'd go through, is to contact me and try it. How do they find you? Contact. Find me on LinkedIn or my website is the best, through my website, and just contact me at Lois, loisletchford.com. That's okay. the best way of contacting me. And, and for the people who are listening, I um, want you to spell that out. Lois is L-O-I-S. Letchford and Lois Letchford is L-O-I-S, Letchford, L-E-T-C-H-F-O-R-D. LoisLetchford.com. So you are, you do have a course that is supplemental to the book, but you're still uh, in those early stages of Um, releasing that course. And you start out with middle school. Why did you start out with middle school? Uh, because there's a lot of competition in the early years and there's a lot of philosophical discussions that go on with early years, which I hadn't got into until I uh, met this six-year-old who came to me not so long ago with nothing, zero words, and I had to create a program to meet his needs and I've done that. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. And in three weeks, my little boy went from inability to read about two words to now he's got about 50. And Mm -hmm. it's so, you know, and then every step is is a big hurdle. The next lot of words, you know, the rhyming words of dad, sad and mad. So we're working on those at the moment. Mm. But it's huge struggle. And I haven't got past them. We haven't even really gone to this to the sounds and the vowel sounds because he's struggling to get why am I doing this? And that letters and sounds come together to make words. That's where we're at at six. Oh, wow. So even though he's talking to you, he talks with his parents, he doesn't make association that the written word and the oral word are communication. And that ability to separate sounds and put them back together, over the top. Really, really, really challenging. Yeah. So why do I start with middle school? Yeah. Yeah, Because of that. The other reason is because, um, you know, once I taught my son to read, I did explicit things for him that were really under circumstances that were only for him but I was able to transpose those ideas to other children. But it was when I went 
to Lubbock, Texas and taught as a district reading specialist, the students that came to me first were in middle school. I got it. Okay. And middle schoolers, you know, they require a different uh, approach. You're not oh, doing... Do. And you, you've got to not only teach them letters and sounds and all the things that they're missing, but you've got to do it at a level that they're saying, this is worth my while. And that yeah. was the challenge. That's what I did. Yeah, middle schoolers, because they have that history of life, they are starting to question why adults are doing what they're doing. So. And, and I've failed for so long. What are you going to do that's different? They aren't that... Um, defiant outwardly, but inwardly, it's a rock that you have to melt because mm-hmm. everyone else has failed them. Yeah. What are you going to do that's different is really what they're asking. And that's where I come in. And whether I can, you know, I can do it myself, whether I've written it in a way that can other people can pick up and know what they have to do is going to be the challenge. Mm-hmm. So the whole process of reading is step one because we need we have the auditory, we have the visual, we have maybe the tactile with holding the book. How do you translate that when you got a kiddo who's gone from two words to 50 words and then we need to write it down? Um, are you Do you have any unique uh, interventions or strategies that you do to help buffer that that gap between the two different subjects? Yes. I'm just trying to reach for something in my box of goodies, which I, uh, down here in my box of goodies, if I can do it without falling it out. Oh, it's got squashed. It's been in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> what I do is I, I, I write poetry for children, poetry that children can read. But not, not any poetry. They have to have a reason for writing it. So this is my caterpillar that's been in his box and he's got legs. So he's got a back and he's got legs. And I write about first lines are, my name is, and the child's name, I made a, and this one is a caterpillar. And so, and then my caterpillar has two eyes. And my caterpillar has one mouth. My caterpillar does X, Y, and Z. Finish it off with the first two lines from the beginning, only reversed. So that the child is not doing something abstract. They're doing it for life. And my little boy looked at the word caterpillar and he said, there's the word cat. That was the start. You know, but it, so it's a whole range of, of um, activities and connecting the words, as you said, with the oral language, with the written language, and with real life. It's that triangular connection, always doing something. And what I do with the older students is turn a book into a play. So Mm -hmm. that, you know, the thing with comprehension is that you have a comprehension, I have a comprehension, and we have a book in between us. We don't always end up with the same picture that the author had in the book. You might have a slightly different picture to me. And when I grew up, interesting hearing about your story, Brian, I grew up reading words I could not comprehend. No one picked it up. 
I was just not smart enough, didn't work hard enough, didn't try hard enough, didn't try hard enough. I didn't know how much harder I could try. And it's very difficult to try when you're running like a caterpillar and no one's helping you. Yeah, you're running on that hamster wheel and you just can't get the, the hamster wheel to uh, take you anywhere. Definitely. And it's yeah. an idea of a treadmill, definitely, because the trouble is you, you're building muscles, but you're going nowhere. You're mm-hmm. going nowhere. And when my son struggled, then I was able to come back and look at some of the reasons why I could have struggled. And that's been fascinating because it's really helped me understand reading comprehension and decoding much more effectively than I would have thought. And then then having students who have made mistakes, students who have made mistakes, has really been light bulb moment for me. Do you want to know what they are? Sure. This is my favourite book, R. Said Stork. And you see immediately I'm into books. I'm using books for my students. I'm not using decodable text. I'm using books. Okay. And this book is really cool. And this is R. Said Stork. I will eat this egg. He pecked at it, but it would not break. And then I'm only going to give you a couple of pages. Hippopotamus rolled on it. Lion bit it. Double page spread, lion bit it, chimp hit it, elephant stamped on it, and so on and so on and so on with the book. And I had three little children sitting in front of me, third graders, and I said to them, and what's the it? And each child, the three sat in front of me, put their hands up and said, it, it's nothing. And it was eye-opening to me to recognise that we can read this whole book and then not have a clue what it was. Mm. After I did this lesson about a month or two later, one little girl came Can I just pause you there? Because there are going to be people listening to the podcast that have not been able to see it. They won't see the YouTube version of it. It happens to be an egg. It happens to be the egg. Let's see. There is an egg where one of them is stomping on it. One of them has it in their mouth. And I don't remember all the other. uh, Rolling on it, biting on it, hitting it. You're right. You're right. It's not on your oil on. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow's the big thing, isn't it? To recognize that's the failure. That's the level of failure. And these kids were not the slowest children I've ever taught. They were just below average. And with that, I was then able to go through with the book and say, well, there's the word it, what's happening? And we went through the whole book and we changed the word it to the egg. And that was also why I wanted to um, have people act things out because it changes and you, ha- you as the reader have to do the work. Yeah, I'm going to, wow. So one of the things that's happening in my life is I am currently writing a book with a math teacher. It is called Math Disconnected. We are very, very close to being finished with the book itself. And one of the things that we have 
been talking about is the concrete, semi-concrete and abstract versions of teaching kids. And you mentioned then about putting on a play. One of my uh, fellow OTs that does executive function skills has kids write a play and then they have to act it out uh, later. So you are talking about things that uh, are happening around me with uh, the different various levels of building blocks that we need to put together to help these kids learn. So fantastic ideas. I hope that our listeners today take some of these ideas and put them into practice in their own setting. And if you would like to learn more about how to implement those, I'm sure Lois can share some details with you. Before we uh, head out of here today, Lois, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience? Uh, any additional information, any other strategies? Well, language by its very nature is abstract. You know, that's the first thing to know. And what you just said about mathematics, mathematics is a language. It's another language and we have to learn it. And, you know, there's, so there's language, English language and mathematics language. And I love working with mathematics because every word counts. So what else do I want to talk about? You know, the first is knowing that when children fail, that it's not their fault. We are the ones who have to change. The child is doing their absolute best and they can't say to you, I don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. All you watch is their behaviour deteriorate. So we are the ones who are in charge and we are the ones who have to provide sufficient instructions to take our children from the bottom to the top. And before I go, the reason I wrote my book is my son, my son Nicholas, who failed first grade, ended up with a PhD in applied mathematics from Oxford University. Ooh, how cool is that? That is amazing. Wow. And a lot of a lot of what I've learned comes from teaching him because his journey was extraordinary, un, you know, unexpected because I trusted the schools. But once I'd been through my experience, I didn't trust the schools. And I joined the system so that we could turn children around. That's what I did. That's what I do. Wow. You have been listening to the Writing Glitch podcast. We release the second and fourth Tuesday of every month during the school year. Subscribe to the podcast. Hey, do me a favor, write a review in your favorite podcast app. You can also listen to the podcast on thewritingglitch.com. If you're looking for some more intervention ideas specifically for dysgraphia, head over to our other podcast, The Writing Glitch Pocket Cast. And there's where I'm going to be sharing interventions this, this season of the podcast. Remember, you were put here for such a time as this. Sam C. Productions manages the post-production. Thank you very much for being here, Lois. It has been delightful and very, very educational. Thank you.